Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development and to products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations, while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Jeff Purnell. Jeff is a senior technology licensing officer in the Office of Technology Transfer at the University of Maryland in Baltimore. Jeff has over 20 years of product development experience in industry. As a technology and quality manager at JM Huber Corporation, Jeff led an international group to develop oral care products and had responsibility for maintaining CGMP compliance at FDA-registered facilities. As director of R&D at Adhesives Research, Jeff led a global team in the development of specialty tapes and served as functional leader on the business strategy team. Jeff developed and executed the R&D strategy, which included safety, facilities, budget, IP, and CDAs, and worked directly with customers and developers to generate and commercialize products. Jeff received his AS and BS degrees in engineering and chemistry, respectively, from Shepherd College and a PhD in chemistry from Penn State University. Jeff conducted postdoctoral work at the MPI for biophysical chemistry in Gottingen, Germany. And with that very impressive background, Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, thanks again, Jeff, for taking part in the podcast. I'm really happy to have you here. And I generally like to start the podcast off by asking my guests about their journey to tech transfer. Jeff, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in Baltimore at UMB? Sure. I guess I'll start um, from graduate school. After receiving my PhD in chemistry from Penn State, my wife and I decided to do postdocs in Germany. We spent two years at a Max Planck Institute for Biophysical Chemistry in Göttingen. After completing my postdoc, I accepted a position at J.M. Huber Corporation located in Haverty Grace, Maryland. During my career there, I worked in various roles in R&D and product development. The primary products developed were a range of novel morphosilicates and silicates used in a wide range of applications, including oral care, food, pharmaceutical excipients, etc. After being there 10 years, I took a position at Adhesive Research located just south of York, Pennsylvania. I had several positions throughout my 11-year career there, and with the last being Director of Research and Development. Our focus was developing specialty tapes for medical devices, pharmaceuticals, electronics, and other applications. As to how I ended up at UMB was a bit of a coincidence. I happened to receive a LinkedIn message from someone I attended graduate school with and worked with at J.N. Huber. We hadn't been in touch for years, and I noticed that he was working at UMB. I commented on his move from industry and made the comment that I considered moving back to academia later in my career not really expecting to make the move at this time. Months later, he contacted me that there was an open position at UMB and if I was interested in applying. I decided to go ahead and apply, and here I am. 
Wow, that's an amazing career journey for you there, Jeff. Uh, really, really interesting. So can you tell us, for those of our listeners who are not familiar with the Office of Tech Transfer at UMB, a little bit more about it? Yes. OTT is one of three departments in the Office of Research and Development. The other two are clinical trials and corporate contracts. They primarily handle everything dealing with corporations like sponsored research agreements. And the, the third is called Sponsored Programs Administration. We refer to them as SPA. They handle everything that's not corporate-related, typically government grants, these sorts of things. Within OTT, there's the licensing group, the patent and compliance group, and the new ventures group. We work with the different schools, medicine, pharmacy, dentistry, nursing, law, and social work. For disclosed inventions, the patent attorneys and licensing officers work closely together to assess and progress university IP. After an invention is disclosed, we'll meet with the PI to discuss the technology, patentability, and the commercial potential. Our ultimate objective is to commercialize university IP so they can be used to benefit society. Now, Jeff, could you tell us a little bit about the Center for Maryland Advanced Ventures, also known as CMAV? Yes, I can do that. But um, before I talk about CMAV, it would be, I think it would probably be beneficial to give some background on the university system of Maryland, which consists of 12 institutions. UMB is one of the 12. Many people think that UMB, which is University of Maryland, Baltimore, University of Maryland College Park, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, is one institution, but they are all separate institutions, each have their own president, administrative staff, etc. I've had people call me about technologies from one of the other institutions, assuming <laughs> that all University of Maryland sites were the same institution. They are all part of the university system of Maryland, but are independent institutions. I think this background is important in understanding why the CMAA was created. It is my understanding that about 10 years ago, a partnership was formed called Empowering the State. We refer to it as Empower, which is a collaboration between the state of Maryland's two most powerful public research engines, which is the University of Maryland Baltimore and the University of Maryland College Park. The purpose of the collaboration was to strengthen and serve the state of Maryland and its citizens. In 2016, CMAB was created to promote the commercialization of high potential university-based discoveries. It strengthened and formalized the structured relationship between UMB and UMCP. The CMAB initiatives are integrated in UM Ventures, which are also part of UM Ventures, which combines the entrepreneurial research resources and offices at UMB and UMCP to commercialize university inventions and launch successful startups. The CMAB initiatives are meant to capitalize on the research and development success of empowering the state, fortify, fortify its innovation infrastructure, and create the next generation of Maryland entrepreneurs. So in essence, it created a collaboration between the two independent institutions to better leverage the resources to commercialize university inventions. There are other supporting functions of this initiative. One is the Baltimore Fund, which is a $1 million fund defined by the legislation to create jobs in Baltimore City by encouraging university-created or sponsored companies to locate in the city. Another is the Maryland Momentum Fund. 
It's a university system of Maryland, $10 million early stage investment fund that invests in Maryland-based USM-affiliated startup companies. We also have access to the Shell Institute, which is actually located in College Park on their campus, and it provides engineering support, such as prototype design to further technology development. I personally toured that facility. They have, they have great capabilities, and we have used them for prototype design. We also have the GRID, which stands for Graduate Research Innovation District. It was created as an innovation space where students, entrepreneurs, faculty, and staff can connect to bring innovative ideas to light through education, entrepreneurial resources, and programming. So that's kind of CMAV in an overview. No, that was really helpful. Thank you. That's uh, it's fascinating. And I wanted to go back, Jeff, and ask you, um, you mentioned your office a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about how it's structured? Yes. Within our office, we have five people that work on licensing the technology. I'm one of the five. Um, we have three in-house patent attorneys and three compliance staff. As I mentioned previously, this team works together closely to manage technologies from initial disclosure through IP protection and commercialization. Uh, that's ultimately my job to get it to market and commercialize it. We also have a new ventures group that is focused on startups for high potential university technology. They make investments to further the technology, provide project management and company leadership for startups. The group has made 15 to 20 investments and they started 11 companies. In addition, we have five to six entrepreneurial residences and a venture advisor. They provide support for new startups, and some of these um, EIRs are site miners for the Maryland, Initi Maryland Innovation Initiative Grant from TEDCO, which is the Maryland Technology Department of Corporation. The intent of the program is to foster the commercialization of technologies through validation, market assessment, and the creation of startup companies in Maryland. Many of RPIs have received this grant, and it's been a great source of funds further the research and aid in starting companies. So Jeff, I wanted to ask you a little bit about some of your office's metrics, things like invention disclosures, patent filings, things like that. Would you be able to share some of those over the last year or so? Sure. Um, well, they obviously vary from year to year, but we typically have around 150 invention disclosures each year and over 100 patent filings and about 10 startup companies each year. So, Jeff, switching gears a little bit, I wanted to ask you, what do you think is most important in managing innovations to have the greatest opportunity for success? I think it's relationships. Throughout my career, I've learned that relationships are important in every aspect, whether it be from creating design inputs with the customer, scaling up products from the lab to manufacturing, sales, etc. In tech transfer, in my opinion, it's no different. It's critical to have a good relationship with the PIs. Uh, and for them to understand the value that you bring. It's also important to have a good professional relationship with a licensee. That doesn't mean you roll over and give them everything they want. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if there's a mutual, mutual respect through relationship building, there's a greater chance to negotiate in good faith and to come to acceptable terms. In a hostile environment, there's a greater chance that will fail. So, Jeff, I wanted to ask you a little bit about corporate partners and the role they play in tech transfer at UMB. 
Can you give us some examples of some relationship with corporate partners there? Yeah, we have relationship with corporate partners usually through sponsored research agreements. Uh, this is an important part of university funding, and it's growing every year. In these type of agreements, the company provides a certain amount of funding to support the research project or clinical trials for the right of first refusal of any developed IP. In other words, we are giving them an option to license the technology before it can be offered to other potential licensees. So would you say these corporate partners have led to more deals or perhaps differently structured deals? Um, whether it leads to a deal is dependent on the results from the sponsored research. If the results are favorable, the company usually exercises the option to license the IP. Um, however, I wouldn't say that the deals are structured differently. We typically follow our standard term sheet format with multiple iterations through the negotiation process. And I mean, I, I've had some that are successful where they will carry it on to a deal and other times the results can turn out the way they want it and they don't. They don't exercise that option. So sometimes it, it goes forward, sometimes it doesn't. So what about the role of philanthropic organizations, things like the Gates Foundation? Do you have much interaction there at UMB? Um, yes, many of our PIs have received funding from the Gates Foundation, but it's not something that our office is specifically involved in. We typically find out when it's listed as a funding source on the invention disclosure. So, Jeff, I wanted to ask you, reflecting on past license transactions and or partnerships, what might you have done differently if you knew then what you know now? Well, I'm relatively new at this, so I don't have a lot of experience to draw from. But I have learned that as a new licensing officer, it's good to have a checklist of all items that need to be completed before closing a deal ensure that nothing is missed, such as a stock issuance agreement if equity is involved, assignment of rights, interinstitutional agreements, things like that. I just list a few, but there are many items that need to be covered in a deal. And for someone that is new and inexperienced, it's possible to miss things. So I want to ask you, Jeff, um, for your checklist, was that something you developed yourself or was it something you got from someone else? I mean, I think that's a really great idea. Yeah, kind of both. I mean, I developed my own checklist, but it, it was getting all the components from more seasoned people when I first started. Um, them just letting me know and some experience. I mean, to be honest, there were one or two things that were missed in some deals that were lessons learned. Oh, yeah. Experience is always the best teacher, right? Yes. So, Jeff, I wanted to ask, could you describe for us some of your office's biggest success stories in terms of successful technology startups, things like that? Yeah, there are several companies that I can mention. Um, I would say that Harpoon Medical was one of our biggest success stories. It was a startup company that developed a medical device for use in minimally invasive heart surgery. And Edward Life, Life Sciences purchased the company. That purchase happened around the time I started, about three years ago. And that was a big success for our office. Um, I'll mention a few others. Remedy was another startup and Biogen purchased them. The technology is a repurposed diabetes medication used for traumatic head injury and stroke. Also, Breathe was a startup company that developed an artificial lung, and Aviamed purchased them. I believe that purchase happened just like a year, year and a half ago. That was relatively recent. Um, Living Pharma, a CAR-T uh, platform company, was purchased by Milteni. Also, we had Analytical Informatics, developed software 
that allows different diagnostic instruments to communicate with each other. And that one was purchased by Philips. Um, I will briefly mention one that I've been working on. I'm optimistic that uh, this technology that I recently licensed is, is actually going to be a good one. The technology is a molecular-based point-of-care test for SARS-CoV-2 and other viruses. It was originally developed for COVID during the heart of the pandemic, but it's also being used to test other viruses. It provides the precision and accuracy of PCR testing, but in minutes rather than hours. It can also be developed into a home-use test. The technology was licensed to RNA disease diagnostic. They are a startup company, but they've assembled a high-powered team. They're well-connected, and they're raising substantial funding. I think the company has a very good chance of being successful, and I'm excited to see how it progresses. Yeah, that's, uh, that is very exciting, and it will be interesting to watch uh, where that goes. So, Jeff, uh, along with success comes some challenges. What would you say some of your office's biggest challenges are? I would say one challenge has been working remotely during the pandemic. Uh, and, and the challenge, although we certainly can do our jobs remotely regarding completing deals and moving the technology forward, it's been a challenge of meeting new people and providing the same high-level customer service. As I mentioned previously, relationships are important. It's much easier to build those relationships when you're on campus and interacting regularly with the PIs, especially if they're new PIs. Um, we do have Zoom meetings and phone calls, but it's just not the same as the face-to-face. -face. So I would say that's one challenge that, that our office has had. Another challenge is really the balance between getting disclosures submitted and having good and complete invention disclosures, ones that are enabled and not just ideas. We encourage our PIs to submit disclosures um, and to submit them earlier rather than later. Uh, because sometimes when we get things submitted right before they're publishing the paper, they're leaving in two weeks to go to a conference, or maybe they've already published the paper sometimes. Um, and so we want them to actually disclose things earlier rather than later. Uh, but sometimes when we get them earlier, they're not really enabled invention yet. Also, I would say uh, it can be a challenge to get the invention from an early stage to where, can, to where we can commercialize it. Oftentimes, the hurdle is funding. So we, we try to provide help with applications for like the MII grant um, and an internal grant through the Institute for Clinical and Translational Research, Victoria, that's, that's on campus. We actually have a staff member in our office that has a joint position between OTT and ICTAR. Um, she actually spends time helping faculty apply uh, for the ICTAR grant. So these are some of the challenges we're asking. So Jeff, switching gears a little bit, does UMB have any programs to help encourage and assist women and other traditionally underrepresented inventors and entrepreneurs? And if so, would you mind explaining those in a little bit of detail? Uh, the answer is yes but it's in the very early stages. The rollout is this fall. We are an active participant in something called Upsurge and Techstar Equitech Accelerator. They're grounded in the advantages of diverse leadership, companies led by underestimated founders and using innovation to broaden access or reduce societal barriers. We're also starting the process of measuring our outreach. 
So it's in the early stages, but it is in process. So switching gears again, Jeff, I wanted to ask you, what organizations, things like Autumn, LES, are you and your colleagues involved in, and what value do you think they add? Our office is involved in Autumn. We usually send one to two people each year to an annual Autumn meeting, as well as attend some of the training sessions. I personally find it of value since it's specifically focused on what our office does, which is technology management. It's also nice to network and build relationships with other technology managers uh, that work at other universities. I found that beneficial as well. Several people from our office have also uh, taken some educational courses from LES. I was actually planning to take one before the pandemic hit, but it's been delayed. So hopefully I'll be able to do that in the future. Jeff, I wanted to ask you for your view on credentialing and whether or not you think it makes a difference. Things like the certified licensing professional, the CLP designation, and the registered technology transfer professional, the RTTP designation. Yeah, I I don't want to say it doesn't make a difference, but I will say I don't really think it makes a difference in our office. Um, To my knowledge, none of the licensing officers are certified professionals. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't want to belittle value certification. I, I certainly think it has value. It's just not something that I have found that's promoted or required in our office. Jeff, I generally like to close the podcast by asking my guests, if you could have any three wishes granted or a vision realized for your office, what would that be? I, I think probably the first would be more world-changing technologies, such as a cure for cancer. You asked me to wish, I'm going to wish. Yeah, that would, that would be awesome. I'm right up there with you on that one. So that would be one. Uh, another one I would say would be maybe increased revenues that could be used to expand our capabilities and add value to the IP, such as prototype design, regulatory support, clinical trials, marketing, things like that. Um, and I think a third would be a standardized process across all universities for code technologies. Uh, this, I, I credit Autumn. I mean, they started with the IAA, the Autumn IAA, which we use at our universities, but there's still a lot of universities that don't use it. And uh, I find that standardization is just so much easier. So that's just one example of IAAs, also CDAs. I mean, we get a wide range of CDAs. Everybody has their own different formats. So I think standardization across universities in these areas dealing with licensing would be Beneficial. Well, Jeff, I can't thank you enough for all your insights and time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, where can they reach you? Sure. They can send me an email at jpurnell at universityofmaryland.edu. And that's J. My name is spelled Purnell. It's P as in Paul, U-R-N-E-L-L at umaryland.edu. Great. Well, thanks so much again, Jeff. It's been really great to have this opportunity to talk to you. Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, 
advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.